Well, if you've been around our church for a while, chances are you're familiar uh, with hearing about the Pharisees. But did you ever wonder who they really are or where they came from? Well, if we look back in history, the time before Christ, we can get a pretty good idea. So first of all, you need to remember that after the end of the Old Testament, right after the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, of Queen Esther and the prophet Malachi, there were about 400 years of silence from God. That's 400 years without any prophetic word from God. And as you can imagine, it was also 400 years of cultural changes. Probably the most significant was Alexander the Great conquering the known world and the spread of the Greek culture resulting from that. So like every empire and kingdom before, the Jewish people were susceptible to these new influences. And so in response, the Pharisees arose as an informal sect of the Jewish religious leadership. The word Pharisee means the separate ones. And they tried to remind people of the Mosaic law, right? Strict adherence to the ways that they were to follow. The original Pharisees were probably more like Nehemiah, meaning that we would have seen him as, as the good guys, right? With the recommitment to follow the word of God. And so even later in the time of Jesus, the Jewish population still saw the Pharisees as those who were closest to God, right? They memorized large portions of the Bible. They adhered to its laws and they reminded everybody of the straight path. Sure, in addition to the laws, they added their own traditions and practices, but they were very serious and very religious. They were seen as the true followers of God. And Jesus himself acknowledges this in the Sermon on the Mount. Right, he points out to the people that unless their righteousness surpassed that even of the scribes and the Pharisees, then they would never enter the kingdom of heaven. But one day in Matthew 15, Jesus goes back to the basics with the Pharisees. They were accusing Jesus and his disciples of not washing their hands before they ate, which was one of their traditions and not a command of God. Now, as a side note, I think that uh, washing your hands before you eat is a good thing, and Jesus is not saying we shouldn't do it, despite what middle school boys might think. But Jesus here, what he's after is the misplaced priorities. And so listen to how Jesus replies to them in, in Matthew 15, verse 3. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So so in all their memorization and all their preserving of the text and emphasis on strict obedience, they lost focus on the word of God and they set their sights on the traditions of men they ended up neglecting one of the foundational commands of God. And that's the command we're going to look at today, the fifth commandment, to honor your mother and father. 
And so if it was possible for these devout believers, right, intent on not giving in to the popular culture but remaining true to God's word, if it was possible for them to lose sight of the importance of God's basic commandments, then that same failure must surely be at risk for us today. And so let's examine God's words in our hearts and see how we can truly honor him. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus 20. It's on page 61 in the Bibles in front of you. And you can grab your outline as well and follow along. This morning we're going to look at, number one, the command to honor. Number two, the failure and fulfillment to honor. And three, the commitment uh, to honor. So follow along as I read our long passage here, all of one verse. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord your God is giving you. So the first thing that we come to in this verse is the word honor. Right? So let's start there and think about honor before we move on to the rest of the verse. So according to the dictionary, to honor is to hold in high regard, with great respect or high esteem, to show reference to, to reverence to, to, to show deference to. And in the Bible, we find that the word honor sprinkled out throughout the Bible, and that's exactly how it's used. Right in Genesis 30, Leah was Jacob's first but unloved wife. And she says that maybe Jacob will honor her now because she's given him six sons, right? She felt unloved and was hoping to be held in high esteem, to be honored. Later in Genesis 45, Joseph, who was thought to be dead, gives this message to his brother saying, tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, right? And he's alluding to the reverence and the high respect that he had gained there. Uh, from the Egyptians for saving their country from famine. And what about the consequences of not honoring? Well, listen to what Deuteronomy 21 has to say. Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. And so shall you purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear in fear. Right, wow, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Dishonoring your parents is serious business. And notice the other sins in there that the son is committing as part of the dishonor, right? Disobedience, stubbornness, rebellion, gluttonness, drunkenness. It's a reminder that other sins always accompany dishonor, which makes me think of Romans 6.23, right? The wages of sin is death, And while we don't know how often the nation of Israel actually enacted the stoning of disobedient sons, right? it's here in Deuteronomy to remind us that not honoring our parents is serious business. It's sin and rightly deserving of condemnation. 
So to dishonor is to disregard, to, to hold in contempt or to hate. Versus to honor, which is to give regard to, to show high respect for. And so back to our commandment, who are we to show this respect or honor to? Well, to our mothers and fathers, right? That's point B. And a couple of things to consider here about this phrase. First, notice that this text does not single out either parent as more worthy of honor, but rather exhorts the reader to show honor equally to each parent. And now flip forward to the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 6. That's on page 979 of your Bibles. Because second, we need to notice that this isn't really an exclusive command just to young children, which is, I think, how we usually read this verse. And I think this partially comes from uh, Ephesians 6. So Ephesians 6, starting in verse 1, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother, your father and your mother. And this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So here the Apostle Paul is talking about young children, right, about them obeying, but only as one of the applications of the fifth commandment. Because if you think about it, originally the Ten Commandments were given to all of the Hebrew people there on Mount Zion, right, not just to certain subsets. It wouldn't make any sense just to have one command smack in the middle of all the other nine to just be only applicable to kids. And rather, every one of them, and and every one of us here today, are children with mothers and fathers and need to learn to honor them. And there are very tangible ways in which this is carried out, right? Think about our setting here in Israel, right? It's a farming and herding and and labor-intensive setting of the ancient world. And they are to honor their parents' wishes even when they're grown-up children, when they're adults, right? Honoring their parents as they move into their aged years, as they move from being capable and experienced to maybe being a burden with bad eyesight and frail bodies and failing memories. But honor in the family is shown to be foundational by its place here in the fifth commandment. And that's because the family itself is foundational. And that was true in the ancient world setting, but it still is true today. Right? The healthiest society is one that places high value on the family unit. And why is that? Well, it's because God is the creator of the family unit. Right? He designed that to be the tightest and most intimate grouping in society. The place where truth and love and discipline and nurturing They all converge to produce adults that can be positive contributors and helpful to one another in the society at large. Honor has great value beyond just the family, but but it will not and it cannot happen in the broader culture if it's not learned first in the home. And so now look again at Ephesians 6, look at verse 2, because Paul here points out that there's something unique about this command. Right? This is the first and only command in which a promise is given. Right? And that's the, the promise of long life, point C. In fact, in retelling the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, 
Commandment number five is attitude. It's even a little bit longer. It says, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded that your days may be long. And then it adds here, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So the promise is directly correlated with Israel's time and place. Right? The Lord, uh, the land that your Lord your God is giving you refers to the promised land, to Canaan. And who was that promised to? But a thousand years earlier, it was first promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. And there Abraham heard from the Lord who said, Go from your country and your kindred to your father's house to the land that I will show you. That is to the, the promised land. And it was also promised to all of Abraham's offspring, the whole Israelite nation, when God told Moses that he knew of their suffering and he would lead them out of Egypt where? To a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the land that they're on their way to right now when God's giving them the Ten Commandments. And so if they obey, they'll do well, as the Lord lays out again and again throughout their wandering in the desert. If they listen to the Lord and they honor their parents, they'll do well in the land. So how about this promise? Are they guaranteed a long life? I mean, individually guaranteed it? I mean, not necessarily, right? This promise is not a guarantee for every single individual, but rather it's more of a general promise like we think about the book of Proverbs. Generally speaking, like then and like now, you'll live longer if you listen to your parents. If you honor them, it'll go well with you, right? If you listen to your parents and they tell you not to play in the street, well, then you're more likely to avoid being hit by a car. If you listen to your parents and avoid drugs and alcohol, you'll be less likely to end up in prison or in poverty or or dying from health concerns that these choices bring on. If you take care of them in their old age, your children will see your sacrifices and likely do the same, right? It'll go well with you. Now, more broadly to the nation, if this people go into the promised land and they show honor to their parents, then they'll build a kingdom of Israel with generations of honoring and obedient people. This goes back to our principle of the family unit itself being foundational. Because it's in the family that you learn how to honor your parents and what the results are. And this is just the starting point. Because this commandment is really an example that helps us understand all of the other commandments, right? Both the four before and the five after. Just think back to what we've already learned the last few weeks, right? We honor God by worshiping him. That's the first commandment. We honor God by not making false images of him. We honor God by honoring his name. We honor God by remembering the Sabbath, And and we'll see that the last five commandments are all about one another, honoring the lives and the marriages and the livelihood of your neighbor, which makes sense, right? We, We honor life and marriage and truth because we want to honor God. He's the one who made these things in his own image. And so if we honor him, when we honor or we love our neighbor. And this is only confirmed and built upon up in the New Testament, When Jesus gives us the greatest commandment found in three of the four Gospels, he gives us the command to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and then also love our neighbors as ourselves. 
It's a sum of the Ten Commandments, and the concept of honor is embedded right in there, in the middle of it. Holding in high esteem or regard. Putting others first. So, the bar is really high. Right? The command to honor starts in the family and extends out from there, pointing out that granting honor to whom honor is due is a matter of obedience to the Lord's commands. And so our next task is to look at how Israel managed this high calling, and then we also take a look at ourselves. And then lastly, look at the one who fulfills, that's Jesus, with whom dwells all honor and glory and dominion. So let's start with number two, Israel's failure. Now when I say Israel, you're probably and appropriately thinking of the nation of Israel, but let's start first with the namesake, the man God called Israel, right? The patriarch Jacob. How did Jacob do at honoring his mother and his father? Right? Putting together an elaborate ruse to trick your elderly and blind father and then fleeing your responsibilities at home? (laughs) Not so good. And then how do his kids repay him? Well, they sell his beloved son in as a slave, and then they tried to tell him he was eaten by wild animals. That's how. And that's even before these commandments are chiseled into stone. And let's look at another example at the other end of the Old Testament, at the prophet Malachi. Right? You can turn there now. It's on page 801, Malachi chapter 1. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, the last of the minor prophets. He lived around the same time as Esther, as I mentioned earlier this morning. Let's look at Malachi uh, chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am father, where is my honor? This is God speaking. And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name. Now jump forward to 2.2. God again speaking. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send curses upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So what is Malachi saying here? Well, he's using the example of a son who should honor his father to show how God himself is a father without honor. Right? He's the God of the universe who has redeemed his people and repeatedly saved them, but he receives no honor or fear. And so God tells them that if they won't listen to him, and if they insist on dishonoring his name, then they will fail, and they will lose their place he has promised. And think back to my introduction, right? Not, not long after Malachi, the Pharisees had good intentions. They started off great, but what did they do? They forgot the command to honor their parents, and they elevated their own traditions. And then so what does Jesus tell them? Right, he quotes Isaiah to them. And Isaiah, who used the word honor in describing their fake religion. Jesus said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, 
but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And Mark adds in his gospel, you leave the commandment of God and you hold on to the tradition of men. So Jesus is telling them that they failed to take honor to heart and rather they only paid it lip service. In, in practice, they voided God's command to honor parents and thus they have dishonored him. They prioritized the teaching of men over God's word and therefore caused disobedience by their foolish tradition. And this criticism is not only for Israel. Right? As always, God's word speaks to our hearts even today. And we might not be as big on traditions as they were, but don't we still have practices or commitments that directly undermine the commandment to honor our mother and father? If you ask your parents, how many different ways do you think they could come up with where your actions and your attitudes make them feel like they're not loved or honored? If we're honest, we know we're not naturally prone to do well here. Our culture today absolutely worships youth and beauty over experience and wisdom. Right? It starts at a young age when, we, when dishonor and disobedience is just normal and, and expected and tolerated. Right? People say it's just the terrible twos or you know, just rebellious teenagers. What, what can we do? But we need to acknowledge that Scripture tells us that we are born sinners. And disobedience is not cute. It's not harmless. It's sin. Right? Sin that separates us from God. It's the same attitude that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Right? I don't believe that what you want for me is best. So I'm going to take action myself. And I'm going to reject your word for my own. That's why Paul uses the word honor in his opening address to the Romans. Right, listen to this passage from Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. This, friends, brothers and sisters and visitors, this is us. Right? It's evidence that there is a God, and if we acknowledge that fact, then you can't just walk away and do your own thing because that's dishonoring to God, and it's a proof of futile and foolish thinking. Our permanent position from birth is one of dishonor to our Creator. We will not give him honor that's to his name, just as we don't give honor to our parents or even to one another. We're broken by sin and we need a cure for it. Is there anyone who honors? Anyone who obeys and honors perfectly and beautifully? 
Well, thankfully, the answer to that is yes, Jesus did. Right? Jesus, because he in every way delivers on this command. And let's look at point B, how Jesus brings fulfillment. Well, first of all, Jesus honored his earthly parents. Right? Think about uh, the story in Luke chapter 2. Where Jesus, as a preteen, has traveled to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover, which is one of the regular pilgrimages that the faithful Jews would make. And after the holiday's over, everybody's headed back to Nazareth. Mary and Joseph just assume that he's among the masses of families and friends and children that they've come with. And it's not until they get a full day's journey out before they realize that they haven't seen him. So they start asking around, hey, hey, I don't want to sound alarmed here, really no big deal, but... Uh, I can't really find Jesus. You know, have, have you seen him? Are, are you sure? You know, he's about this high, never does anything wrong. You know, best kid on the playground. So finally they realize that he's truly not there. And so they head back to Jerusalem. And it still takes them three days before they finally find him in the temple. And he's sitting there among the teachers, listening to them intently, asking them questions. And everyone there who heard him was amazed at this kid and his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, Luke 2, 48 says, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I don't know about you, but that sounds far too calm for an amount of emotion that I'm sure some parents would have been feeling after losing their kid for three days, right? I can only imagine an interaction that would have a lot more exclamation points in it there. But Anyway, Jesus replies to them and he says, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so while Mary and Joseph don't understand exactly what he's saying, he had been there perfectly fulfilling the fifth commandment by honoring his heavenly father. Right? He was in his presence with him and learning about him. But notice even that Luke goes out of his way here to tell us that Jesus then went to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and was submissive to them as well. Right? The God of all the universe is honoring here his earthly father and mother because he is perfect. And we have another story at the end of Jesus' life of him honoring his parents in, in John 19, 26, at the end of his life on earth. He's hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of all humanity, And yet Jesus still took the time to honor his mother by making sure that she was cared for. So from the beginning to the end, Jesus completes the command by honoring his earthly parents. And more importantly, he also honored his heavenly father, which is point two. Right Here's just three examples from Jesus' life and ministry. So first, as Jesus starts his ministry, he's led out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Matthew 4 records Jesus' responses to the devil's efforts to thwart his mission. Right? When the devil tempts him due to his 
physical desire for food, Jesus replies, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When the devil tempts him to prove God's care for him, he replies, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. And when the devil tempts him to abandon his mission and gain the world, he says, you shall not, sorry, you shall worship the Lord, your God, and him only shall you serve. So Jesus holds the word in high regard and respects the commands of God. So he honors his father by being obedient to his word. And second, at the end of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 26, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to his father. Right? He's facing the terror of the cross, right? being physically tortured, as well as the unimaginable weight of having all of the world's sin put on him. And yet even in that dire time, our Savior said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right, the text says he prays this three times and even includes a note that he was sweating drops of blood in anguish. And so Jesus here is honoring his father by submitting to his will, right? Even though that path was harder than we can ever fathom. And third, let's look at a passage in John 5, page 890 in your Bibles. John 5, 22. Right, this is after Jesus just healed a man at the pool on the Sabbath. And the Jews that were present there were so angry that they wanted to kill him. Jesus is explaining to them his relationship with the Father. And he says... Starting in verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. And so Jesus is honoring the Father by receiving honor himself, right? Because it's God. Jesus is God. God sent him. And so whatever Jesus does and the honor he receives is reflected on God. And so I think understanding these three things are really important because by seeing how Jesus perfectly honors his Father, we also see our salvation, right? We see our cure for our sin because it's his honor through obedience that he demonstrates his sinlessness, his perfection. And it's his honor through submission that he willingly dies and takes the penalty for our sin, and in receiving honor himself, he's demonstrating that he truly is God. And therefore, he is able to satisfy God's wrath and to secure for us true righteousness and life. What an incredible honor we owe him. Right? God himself paid the price for our sins. But even more amazing is that in all of these actions... Jesus brings honor to us, right? He gives us the gift of his honor, of his righteousness. 
We are not worthy of that honor. But Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we were sinners. We were disobedient, rebellious. We were dishonorable. Every one of us. Every one of us started out the same. Unworthy, separated from God due to our rebellion against his perfect holiness. But that is the essence of the gospel, of the good news. right? Because it's only through the work of the worthy one, the honorable Savior, Jesus Christ, that we are saved. All we do is respond to his call. If you're outside of Christ or if you think you're following Christ but you rely on your your good works to save you, please don't miss this fact that on your own, you are unworthy. But in Christ, you are made worthy through his shed blood and resurrected body that we just talked about this last Sunday on Easter. Later in the same chapter of Romans, verse 19, Paul says, For as by the one man's disobedience, talking of Adam in the Garden of Eden, the many were made sinners. But so by one man's obedience, that is, Jesus Christ's, the many will be made righteous. So the obedience of Jesus, the one man, makes sinners like us righteous. The dishonorable become honorable. And because what he has done for us out of gratitude for his love and his care for us, then we should be willing to make a commitment to honor, to honor others, which is point number three in the outline. So there are two places that we should see this impact our lives, two places where the fifth commandment is calling us today, to honoring heavenly authority and honoring earthly authority. So first of all, we are to honor God's heavenly authority. Now this sounds simple enough because we believe in God's sovereignty, right? But we often say that without really thinking about the implication. Right? The challenge here is, are you, am I, really bowing down to God's sovereignty, to honoring him? Right? How do we react when things in our life don't go our way? Is complaining honoring to God? Is blaming circumstances honoring to God? Think about it. When you're mad at the weather or at your computer or the traffic or that the door handle just came off in your hand, right? Who are you really mad at? So one thing I've been trying to do, and you may hear others using this language because I didn't invent it, but when I'm facing something that I'm not enjoying, however big or small, I just remind myself with these words. This is what God has for me. I say it because whatever's happening in my life right now isn't beyond God's control or knowledge. And if there's something that I'm struggling with or enduring, God's using it for my benefit, right? Because we know that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The problem is we're so often trying to find a way out of our circumstances because we can't imagine God would intentionally put us in this place of discomfort. 
But can I suggest to you that we are not honoring God if we blame our circumstances on other things besides God's hand. So let's honor our Heavenly Father by accepting that the circumstances he presents us with are in his hands. It doesn't mean that when you get fired, you don't go and try and get another job or you don't you know, save money to provide for your family. Right? God gave us brains so that we could use them. But to rail against our circumstances and to be angry at the world around us, that is not honoring to God. And lastly, let's think about point B, earthly authority. This commandment we have before us admonishes us to honor our father and mother. Remember that the family is foundational because all other earthly authorities are an extension of what we learn in the family. The Westminster Catechism was a set of questions and answers written by theologians about 150 years after the Reformation to teach their children about the Bible. Listen to this modern translation of what they said in question 124. Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? Father and mother in the fifth commandment mean not only natural parents, but all those set over us in age and in gifts, and especially those who, by God's arrangement, are over us in a place of authority, whether in a family, church, or a nation. So as we've seen in the last few weeks, Right, the Ten Commandments are really just summaries of the full revelation of God's will that we find throughout the Bible. And that's what we see here in this catechism answer. Right, we don't have time to look at all the implications of showing honor to others, but I do want to look at one in particular, and that's honoring our elders within the church. Now, I'm not talking about the office of elder, right, the eight guys that you've nominated to run the church, but I'm talking of how we treat our fathers and mothers within the church. Elders meaning those who are older than us. Listen to how Paul instructs Timothy and puts this interpretation right into our laps. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. In all purity, honor widows who are truly widows. Right? This is beautiful family language, right? Because aren't we all family here? We are, dear brothers and sisters, and fathers and mothers, right? We're family. And this doesn't annul the honoring of our literal parents. We know from Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees that God expects us to care for our actual parents as well. They're included in the catechism because it started off by naming them as the literal interpretation, father and mother and the starting point. But we should do the one without neglecting the other. And Jen Wilkin in her book about the Ten Commandments called Ten Words to Live By says this about honoring elders. Rather than adopt the common mantra that the elderly are adorable, irrelevant, burdensome, or expendable, we instead should show them honor as being full image bearers, filled with the kind of wisdom that only comes from the passage of time. Right? We're called to be countercultural, 
in a world that values the immediate and the expedient, we should take the time to love and honor those who have spent many more days on this planet than we have. A lot of times, honor can simply be showing someone that they are worthy of your time. Right? Our, our time is valuable and it's finite. Right? We should be deliberate and intentional on how we spend it. Right? And the church is a place where those who don't have any blood relatives can still feel the honor of family. So think this week about how you might honor those who are elders within the church. Think of how unique and noteworthy we can be if we strive to honor God by trusting in his sovereign plan, regardless of our circumstances, and if we honor those in the generation before us. What a great example we can set within this church and to the watching world. So, bring honor to the name of our God and Father. Bring honor to your parents, however old you are and however old they are, even if you honor them with your memories. Bring honor to those senior saints in the church. Show care and respect for those who came before you. And thus bring honor to the family name of Christian. And in doing so, we will be like the Christ that we serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so deserving of honor and praise. Lord, every time that we open up our word and study it, we are reminded of what a gracious and merciful and loving God that you are. We honor you for your authority and for your sovereignty, Lord, for your goodness. We honor you for sending your son to rescue us even when we still rejected you. And we honor your son, Jesus Christ, for his obedience and submission for taking the penalty we deserved and suffering in our place. And so, Lord, as we leave here today, help us to remember all of who you are and all that you have done and are doing in our lives to guide us and to grow us, Lord. Help us to honor our mothers and our fathers, Lord, for the sacrifices, Lord, for the effort that they have demonstrated in caring for us. Help us to honor those who have gone before us, Lord, who have lived and learned things that we have yet to encounter. Help us to care for them. Help us to show them the respect that they deserve, Lord. And ultimately, Lord, may we bring honor to you in all that we do, Lord, that your name may be glorified on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.